time when classical musicians are becoming much more focused than ever before on creating an online presence, both in terms of performance and profile, accessing high quality technology and marketing expertise is increasingly important. Music Works is delighted to welcome James Cardell Oliver of Mill Media into the studio today to talk to the services he provides to help musicians get the best possible outcome across a range of these interdependent resources. Especially exciting is the new recording label Mill Media has launched, Grand Empirical. In this episode, James will share his insights into how the market has shifted from album releases providing a source of direct income to musicians to quite a different model, whereby a label must now operate primarily as a tool to market the artist and their music, and quite simply get reviews in the places that matter. If this sounds like a retrograde step, we also look at how this new model is in fact a driver to support live performance rather than simply offer an alternative way to experience music. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where James will be sharing his top tips for finding the right record label, how to best engage with them to get the outcome that works for you, and how to both understand and manage the dynamics of the relationship. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Alliance offer a team of music experts who understand musicians' needs and lifestyles, especially helpful during the strange times we're in. You can get cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment. Cover includes protection against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. Also, unlike home insurance, there's no excess to pay on instrument or accessory claims. If these difficult times have shown us anything, it's that life can be unpredictable and a lot of things are beyond our control. That's why insurance is important for any musician, whether you're planning to tour the world or teach the next generation. Then, if the worst happens, you won't be left out of pocket and you can get back to doing what you do best. At the moment, Alliance have a special online offer with two months free cover. And not only that, but every Alliance Music Policy now includes free legal assistance and support, so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Find out more at alliancemusic.co.uk And so we take you over to the studio where James Cardell Oliver is waiting to speak to Music Works. Hello James, welcome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, So this is James Cardell Oliver, and he is the director of Mill Media, um, which website you can see here, millmedia.co. And James, do tell us a bit about Mill Media. Um, We are a production company primarily for classical music, um, although we do occasionally venture into jazz, and we'd like to do more of that. But we create um, recordings and video um, for classical musicians to promote them and to promote themselves. That's the, the primary aim is, is to help them promote themselves. Absolutely. And you also have a record label, is that right? We do, yes. It's a fledgling label, um, but we're hoping um, that uh, certainly in the coming year that will turn into something much more substantial. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting times. It is exciting. So um, the label's Grand Empirical. Grand Empirical, yes. Yeah. And 
so tell us about starting that then, because I've, I've pulled you onto the podcast to talk about your label in particular, although I'm quite happy to yeah. talk about your other work as well, because um, we at Polyphony Arts have been doing a lot of exploring of record labels for, for our clients recently and realised that this is something that a lot of people are turning to in the pandemic as a, a becoming more of a priority to record their work than it perhaps has been before because of obviously live performance being um, paused. Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested to talk to you about your label and, and sort of the stages at the moment and your approach to it. Well, it, it was started as a sort of as a passion project, but it was almost like a natural progression because we were involved in um, recording um, for people. And then we we came up with uh, at Mill Media. We came up with an album package. Um, we always seem to package everything up. It just makes it easier to understand, you know, what the outcome yeah. of what we're going to do is. Yeah. Um and uh, and then we we know that people have put an awful lot of money into producing recordings. And when we do recordings for people, we also produce uh, a, a bunch of other stuff like um, behind the scenes videos and so on to help them promote it. Um, but then I think a lot of a lot of people were recording with us and then what they were doing was sort of just being lost um, because they didn't have the marketing capability. To, to get it out there necessarily. Um, some do, some of some of the people who've worked with us have done an amazing job on their own, um, you know, uh, but, uh, and you know, they're a real sort of lesson. But um, yeah, we also, aside from Mill Media, we also have a, um, a marketing company <laughs> um, as well. So it, it kind of, the two go hand in hand. And I thought, I started saying, I was talking to Ben, my business partner, we just thought this ought to be something that we could offer to people. So they could take their, we could take their recording and, and and help them get it out there. So really, the label, although it sounds, you know, very exciting having a record label, it's a means to an end. Uh, without wanting to sort of dress it down, you know, it's a way to help people get it out there. Apart from the fact that you know, it sounds great, your, your recording's gone out on a. People do take your recording more seriously if it's got a label attached to it. Yeah, but, I, um, think we, I think so. Yeah. But we wanted it to be so that people could actually, yeah, it was, we wanted to put something in place to help people get their recording heard and get it onto all the right platforms. Yeah, so you started from the point of view of, of helping people make the recording in the first place and make the things exactly. that you also need if you're doing a recording. And then it's the natural next step to say, now that you've got this, you may as well yeah. use it on our label. Um, which is which yeah. is great, and and that's interesting because I, I know from my experience that um, labels do tend to have either a kind of focus either way like it'll either be all about the recording or it'll be all about the pr or it'll be obviously yeah some, some of them do all of it obviously um but we've we've noticed this recently as well that um you know we've we've been um working on discs that have already been recorded and, and working out you know which labels yeah. are interested in doing that and so it's interesting i think to come at it from the um from the point of view of producing the recording because you get um so tell us about what you get when you record um when you take on one of your packages because you work with really good venues don't you and um, have a lot of expertise well the the primary we're really lucky because of where we're based that the primary location we use is the Stoller hall in mm -hmm. the center of manchester which is just a dream to record in because yeah. you know acoustically it's perfectly set up and um there are no <laughs> you know there's no ambulance going past that can be picked up or, you know what I mean? It's sort of, it's yeah. just ideally set up. Um, and it's just a very nicely designed and luxurious space to record in. Mm. Um, and uh, so it's all really there on tap. 
um, and they look yeah, after us very well. Yeah, because organising a, a recording venue can be one of the biggest hurdles for people, I think. Exactly. And, I, and also, um, it, they have extremely high-quality pianos and yes, knowledgeable... Yeah, knowledgeable piano tuners on hand and so on. So, yeah, it's absolutely ideal. And we can fit in, of course, everything from a soloist to an orchestra in there. So if we can, we try and persuade people to 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 come and record there. And we've had people from all over Europe um, uh, coming there, which is pretty exciting. Not recently, obviously. <laughs> um, but we will we will do it anywhere. But that's that's ideal, really, for classical music. Mm. That's great. And then so so people, you know, if they sign up with you, they, they go there, they record their disc, and then what happens? Um, so whilst recording, we try and, well, not try, we do, we get as much behind the scenes footage as we can. Um, and we also do um, what we call a promotional video, which is essentially an interview to try and get a bit of the personality um, across, mm -hmm. because you're not just you don't just, I mean, there's there's a, a thousand and one people recording the same stuff with classical music. It's, it, I'll be honest, it's depressingly rare that something very new comes along. Yeah. Um, and so, but but with that, there's obviously the the personality of the of the musician comes out in the recording, but there's also a personality to them off camera, as it were. And we try and capture that. Um, we did one um, not that long ago, um, the Harry and Elisa recital duo. And they did a really nice program. They did, um, you know, something older and something newer. Um, but and they're a married couple, and they're. I hope, hopefully, if they they won't be offended if they're listening to this. But um, you know, they're they're slightly eccentric in a really attractive way. You know, they're really interesting people, and and it. I think that's that's really important to get that across because it'll. I think if you if you were to meet them and and listen to the interview, for example, that we did with them that would you project that on the recording and you'd listen to it and you'd enjoy it all the more for it so we, we like to get all of, whilst we're doing the recording we capture all of that as well because it's invaluable to either us as a label or if they go to them if they're doing it themselves or if they're if they're pitching it to another label we'll do the same um, yeah no that is that is absolutely invaluable because these things are a huge asset to musicians um yeah absolutely otherwise it's a bit like you know, it's not a case of if we build it, they will come with this. It's a. It was more a case of I've recorded this and no one's heard it. <laughs> you know, yeah, so exactly, so, exactly. So we try and use the opportunity to to get everything we can to help push, you know, the work and also them, you know, because I think one of the primary reasons now with with actual physical CD sales being so low, you're not going to make any money out of a recording, very rarely. Um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a yet another tool to get people to come and see you live, which in a way is kind of quite nice. I mean, I remember having a sticker on my violin case that said, you know, keep music live. And in a sense, we're being forced to now <laughs> because we can't sit back and make money from CD sales. Yeah, um, well, that's a whole other kettle of fish. That, that um, is. We've, we've covered the uh, the um, streaming uh, royalties issue on this podcast. Um, yeah. Late last year, it's um, yeah a whole other area to <laughs> element of this. But um, so what would you say? Um, so I'm I'm kind of wanting to um do a bit of answering of questions for people here that are um wondering about um making a CD and we get asked yeah. loads of questions about this you know people come to us and they say I want to make a CD 
Um, and then they ask me loads of questions. And I think the answers to those questions tend to be quite subjective depending on the label yeah. um, and depending on the artist's personal preferences as well and sort of the, you know, what's been, you know, what the case is in terms of where the disc is at and so on and so forth, etc. But um, so obviously from your perspective of running Mill Media and Grand Empirical, Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'd fling some of these uh, frequently asked questions at you. <laughs> okay, okay, let's find out. Let's find out how little I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so uh, the and I realise that we've already talked about that you come at this mainly from a recording angle. But if someone mm-hmm. comes to you with a um, with a pre-recorded, or some people say, do I want to record it and then approach labels, or do I want yeah. to um, come to labels with an idea? I don't. I don't suppose it, you know, it's, it's up to you and, and it depends on the label as well. Um, mm. So, you know, everything we put out so far, people have come to us and said that we want to record this and we produce it with them and, and so on. Um, I think a lot of labels will want you to, again, as you say, it's subjective, it depends on the label. Um, so, you know, we have a sort of, uh, I have a friend who put out a great album with Biss and of course, they were they wanted to put their producer on it, and they wanted to, you know, quite rightly dictate, I suppose, um, how that was all done. Um, so, if you think, I think, if you if you've got the facilities to make a great recording, and you've got particularly if you've got somebody who can act as a producer for you, then why not get it done and then pitch it to people? Um, uh, you know. It all depends on what what kind of deal you're going for as well. I suppose if if you've got already got a bit of a name for yourself, then you might be going for one of the deals where the the label takes on the cost of the recording. Um, and yeah, so it, it <laughs> there's yeah. so many there's so many, so many you know variables. variables. It's hard yeah. it's hard to say. Um, yeah, no, that's useful though. So, but essentially, it can depend, and there isn't any kind of um, black or white answer to that. And then you touched on the most common second question uh, there, which is, you know, what does it cost or what can I expect from a label? You know, do, do yeah. they cover costs? Do, that, do I pay an upfront fee? What if I do? What does that cover, et cetera? Yeah, I think from from what I know of, of, of how it works with the larger labels and then, of course, you know, we're, we're, we're a small label. Um, I think largely gone are the days where you can go to a label and they'll say, right, let's throw a load of money at you. Um, because you, if you think about it, they've, they've got to want to, and you've got to have something that they can invest in. So I think if you've already got a fantastic live career, then you're more likely to find um, a label that's, that's willing to put the money up front and perhaps even give you an advance. Even so, I would imagine that advance these days would be fairly small. Um, but so it sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? The idea that you go to a label and then you pay, mm. you know, for it. But as, as I say, really, it's a means to a, a label now is a, is a tool to market you and your music. And so what you're what you're looking for in a label, I think, is a label that's going to spend the time and the money and the energy and have the, the know how to, to promote it properly. Um, so you want them to, you want to know that they'll get you the reviews in the places that it matters. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's what it comes down to. Get you the reviews in the places that matters. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it could that's make a it. huge difference, you know. 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I think you're right. And it is actually a different, it is a, a flipping of the way we think about it, isn't it? To think of the label as essentially a marketing and, and promotional tool rather yeah. than you're providing them with your work and they're kind of taking that on, you know, yeah. and kind of, and it becomes their project in a sense. It's like, yeah. yeah. Um, so that is, a, it's a different, um, a different relationship from, I think, what, um, what people think it is. Yeah, um, and I suppose that's always what it is, what it's been, you know. It doesn't matter who you are, whether it's rock or pop or, you know, or classical. A label is there to market something, aren't they? Um, yeah. yeah, but gone are the days potentially when making a lot of money from recorded music. Um, yeah. I mean, this does happen, obviously. It's just, uh, um, there are labels and for distributors and so on that make a lot of money and artists of course that make a lot of money from recorded music but yeah, yeah. For kind of for kind of the um majority um it's more of a more of a promotional tool and a kind of um elevation of your career so that more people see it essentially yeah exactly mm -hmm. um uh, you know it, it's it's there to back you up as a performer um i mean if you're doing something completely new I'd love to as a label. What I'd really like to do, and we'll we'll see how we how we go on with this dream. Um, have me back in a couple of years and see if it succeeded. But what I'd really like to do is start marrying up um, performers with composers. And oh, uh, I'd love that too. You know, yeah. so yeah. so that a composer could have a muse, as it were, and we could start yeah. hearing something new and interesting. Um, I always joke and I get in trouble for this, moving in classical circles that, you know, essentially, <laughs> I'm going to get in real trouble for this. Classical music, you know, it's, it's just a bunch of very well-educated cover bands. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Shot my career down there, you know. Uh, um, and and I suppose, I just, yeah, I love it when I hear something new and fresh. And I know there's a lot to be said about performance and, different takes on on a work but uh, there's so many composers out there that write great stuff and i know that you know there's a lot of work in for film and tv and and games and and so on and so forth but it does frustrate me that the the classical world doesn't i'm not saying that we should just say oh that's old let's get rid of it not at all but uh, it's it doesn't exactly celebrate new things and, yeah, and by that, I, I don't even mean, I'm not saying, you know, it has to be avant-garde or experimental, which is often a trap that people fall into, a hideous trap. But, <laughs> but, uh, but it would be, it would be nice, you know, I, I suppose, you know, in an ideal world, Grand Empirical would not only help uh, musicians and uh, ensembles and so on, um, draw in audiences for them as performers, but it would be really exciting to, as I say, marry up the two and hear some new work being performed extraordinarily well mm. be lovely i agree completely and i think you know the challenge i mean i agree that i, I don't never want to hear mozart or beethoven again but when you look proportionally at how much they're played as against how any piece of new music not one piece any piece is played then yeah it's just um you know, it's just not a good step for the future of the genre, I don't think. No, if we can't, I don't think if so. we can't support its continuous um, sort of buoyant development, then it's just not, um, you know, it's just not sustainable, I, I, is it really? And, it's, you know, from an audience point of view as well as a, an artist and composer point of view. Yeah, and I think uh, 
it would be nice to be able to as a promoter as somebody doing marketing for music it would be lovely to be able to help people build up um like a, a fan base of people that identify with them um mm. i mean if you think about the world of rock and pop um the way the way a band is promoted is you don't just buy the cd or the, the album you're buying into the whole thing i mean you know when i was a when I was a spotty teenager, I was heavily into The Cure. You know, I didn't just buy into their albums. You know, it was everything from the way they wrote The Cure. You know, the actual font, the hairdos, the, the you know, the, the full I works you bought into that. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the curly font. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to sort of, you know, there's that hideous thought of really commercialising classical music. I do think that there's there's a lot to be, there's a lot still to be done with with classical music and, and performers yeah um well i think this is really true um because you know yes we maybe don't necessarily want i don't know t-shirts and at home with nicola benedetti programs on tv but we might no. but having said that there, there's a lot to be learned from industries where people uh like rock and pop um where people have developed um sort of fan bases based on as you were talking about in your interviews personalities like the whole picture and people yeah. have become um you know role models icons artists the whole thing all together mm. now there are lots of classical musicians that are those things but they're just Absolutely. not they're not amplified in the same way um no which is you know part and parcel of the the industry in some ways but yeah there's something about um identifying what it is that people actually want from people that they sort of support one way or another in general, isn't there? I was going to say, it's a, it's a tricky path to, to tread on because um, it's classical music's very, um, I'm not going to say elitist, <laughs> but I'm just going to say there's a certain snobbery to it and people hold it very dear to their hearts and the, the, the idea of it being um, sullied by any kind of uh, commercialism would be, would be hideous and i and i you know i get that and i would i would hate i would hate to, to tread on that i think um it's just that i would love to be able to you can't follow beethoven anymore you can yeah. you can look for p different interpretations of it but you can't sit there and think oh i wonder what he's going to come up with next um yeah. whereas you can when someone digs out an unknown work and, well, <laughs> and then the whole the whole music world just you know goes crazy that, i mean that's true and that's yeah. you know the, our, our first release was um uh, was was a CD of um, of Bach, which they'd found the the, the uh, cello player had found um, a, a manuscript that had been um, put together. Was it Schumann? Yeah, terrible. I should know my own stuff. Um, you know, had written accompaniment to the to the cello suites, and it had never been recorded in full before or heard of. And there's yeah. some dispute over it and so on, but it was certainly very interesting. So that, you know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's something new from who, who thought we'd get something new from Bach. <laughs> he never stops surprising us, does he really? But he, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really interesting though. Um, I, you know, I'm a firm believer, as anyone who listens to this podcast will know, in the importance of new music and it coming... Mm through from you know people get quite excited about premieres but then only so many compared with how much music is being made but then also post premiere it is just a whole different world and once something's been played uh, you know you really need an artist or ideally multiple artists to take it into their repertoire and yeah exactly exactly time. that is 
that's what new music needs. Um, mm. There are definitely enough artists and enough composers to go around for this to be a really kind of vibrant swapping of ideas and, and so yes. on and so forth. But there are problems, you know, people fight over premiere discs and premiere performances and so on and so forth. And I once had a highly unsatisfactory conversation with uh, an agent <laughs> for a famous performer who wanted to perform the premiere of a work but didn't want to perform it if another group had done it first. To which right. I was just sort of thinking, what a shame that I have two musical groups involved in playing this work, or interested in playing this work rather, mm. and we can't agree on who gets it first, rather than saying, actually two people wanting to do this at the same time is actually quite good for uh, yeah. you know for new music. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of problems with that, um, I think, and you know, that's, it's a really interesting idea to come at that from the point of view of a, of a label, because obviously... Um, there is a lot of power in recordings, you know, that's the, the archiving and the, uh, well, the archiving history and also the marketing of, of yeah. music. Um, yeah, very enthusiastic about that idea, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. I represent musicians, I represent artists, um, performing artists and composers, and I've often had this thought as well, that it would be nice to... Um, right, let's do it, let's together. get this done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's change the culture, you and me. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it together, that would be great. <laughs> There we are. You heard it first here. Um, we'd, we'd better get crowdfunding. <laughs> yeah, that's the next step, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So um, let's. Uh, I'd love to ask you um, what your favourite or a couple of fa real favourite projects that you've recorded or you've worked on are. Um, well, I think... I mean, we've we've got we've only got three releases so far. That's how new we are, um, and they've all been exciting. Mm. Um, but uh, I actually, I as I say that this this couple, um, Harry and Elisa, I really enjoyed working with them because their personalities were so infectious, and mm. um, and the the disc has got some uh, schnitke. I always mispronounce that, so you'll forgive me for, okay. which is just off the planet um yeah. and i think some people might even find it you know just too too a well it's not even atonal but it, it's pretty off the wall stuff but boy is it exciting and having been yeah. there while they recorded it um yeah, yeah. was 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 really exciting to watch i mean um so when when we're when we're doing our, our recording sessions we we don't we don't film the whole time when we're capturing because you can't, it's too noisy. And, you know, so there are times when uh, I've, I mean, I had the whole, it was in the Stoller Hall, this particular recording. And uh, I, I had a front row seat all to myself. <laughs> so, it's so amazing and to be in something like that, isn't it? You it's know, it. Like, it's a, you yeah. know, it's a, it's a, it's a real privilege to sit there and, and listen. And uh, just, in, I, I've enjoyed, I would say everything we've ever recorded from that point mm. of view. It's, yeah. uh, you know, there's a, there's a downside, which is the amount of gear lugging we have to do. Yes, that is part and parcel. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, but the upside is that you're, you're getting to go and uh, especially if it's a recording as opposed to doing a music video, um, you, 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 there is time to pause and just enjoy and listen. And uh, sometimes you forget that, you're there to to offer offer us. Well, you're not there to offer a really critical help. That's not my um, it's not my job there. But uh, you forget that uh, you've got a job to do, <laughs> and you're not just there to yeah. sit and enjoy it. You know, you sort of have to snap out of it, um, get into it. But, um, but yes, that was that was 
that was quite an enjoyable project. The next, the last thing we did though was uh, the Goldberg variations with uh, Harry Nowakowski Fox, and um, I wasn't there for the session, but uh, but I edited the the video for it because it was a complete thing, which nearly killed me. Yeah, that sounds like quite a lot of work. <laughs> Honestly, it was it was it was quite something because just because you know it was recorded over two days, um, which isn't very long for something like that, um, and yeah. recorded in a, in a church and there was changing light and this that and the other. So, um, and we you know we had a few. There's always technical issues that we'd rather people didn't know about, but there are always technical issues and we solve them. But yeah. but the the satisfaction at the end of it, the pro, you know what we've got at the end of it is is quite something. And it's you know it's really rewarding to see it in full, and and watch the performance you know. Yeah, oh fabulous! Oh, you speak about it with such warmth. That's lovely to hear. Well, you know, I do. I genuinely love. I, as I say, I, I I I whinge when I'm packing up all the gear and the hours. <laughs> but I mean, what a great job, you know. Oh, I know absolutely. I mean, I feel the same when I work on festivals, and I, you know, everyone rocks up with a violin, and I'm there with like stickers and signs and <laughs> laminating equipment and all this, and I'm like, it's fine, you know. It's <laughs> 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 like vast array of like random miscellaneous stuff. Um, I don't think the stuff you're talking about is particularly random or miscellaneous. <laughs> it's like, it's we- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely to hear. And um, how about, um, I mean, we've kind of actually touched on this away with our, our um, cunning plan, obviously, that we've mm. devised, but uh, what, yes. would you, what would be your, your dream project if someone came to you tomorrow and said, I want you to do this? And you'd be like, this is the dream. Well, that's it. My dream, my real dream is to find, somehow, to find uh, uh, somebody who's written something that um, that has that little bit of magic. My colleague Ben said to me, he said, what makes you tick once? You know, what what is it that makes you, you know, in the work you do or anything you do? And I, and I said to him, it doesn't matter whether I'm, because uh, you know, part of, of Mill was we create um, websites for people, for example, which is nowhere near as exciting. <laughs> um, yeah. But even then, even if I'm doing something as mundane as that, um, it's finding that little bit of magic. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what, you know, it's like when, one of your artists is performing and you hear a particular phrase that they do and you just think, oh, that yeah. is fantastic. You know, that's so to find somebody who writes something that's got that little bit of magic and then finding that performer that really loves that work and understands what they want, what the composer is after, and then yeah. capturing that, but then having other people affected by it. That's the dream right there. That is the dream, isn't it? And that's actually, as you as yeah. you put it out in the sequence, and it made me think that's like your next artistic stage, surely, having gone from like, I'm going to record the music to I'm going to then release the music. It's actually yeah. like I'm going to create the collaboration. That, um, Absolutely. That, yeah. That's that's Because uh, the, whole, the whole thing, collaboration is the key word, isn't it? Because, yeah. um, and that's what we enjoy because we, we're there to record um the artists and put them at ease and you know i mean as you know managing artists you know the work they will put in prior yeah. to that session is yeah. quite something um but then you know everything from from then uh mastering it and then producing the packaging and the cover design and so on it is this great collaboration it's a very exciting mm-hmm. thing 
Yeah, I feel the same. And, you know, I offer, I make jokes when I'm on discovery calls with, with clients for, for kind of festival and concert series work about how I love spreadsheets and I don't mind doing like sales reports and things like that. But actually, I, re I really genuinely, I do have a bit of a thing about spreadsheets, but I really, I, it's, it's part of the whole thing. Like it needs to be done and it needs to be done well. And as much as it's not um, the most exciting part of the job by any means, I love the, um, the, the being a cog in the whole big, thing and i love working with artists and kind of helping yeah. them realize uh, it's the end result the of, yeah exactly yeah yeah that's absolutely. what's exciting yeah very yeah exciting. i agree uh, i'm 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 very well matched with uh, ben um my business partner because um uh he is uh, unbelievably excited by spreadsheets <laughs> <laughs> it's always you good know. to have someone like that in your business I, it's though. just fantastic and but the <laughs> In actuality, I get excited because I've suddenly got this tool, you know, that actually works. <laughs> you know, I'll, I've sent him and I'm during, we've been working, you know, both working from home um, during uh, lockdown. So most of our work is conducted by uh, iMessage. And uh, and it's amazing how often I'll message him and say, oh, I wish this, wish I could have a sheet that did this, you know, yeah. or something. And, uh, at, you know, half an hour later, here you go. He's done this magic. I, it's It's. I don't know how it works. I can code websites, but I can't do spreadsheets. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just doing, I'm doing some, this is a bit of a tangent, but um, yeah. there's this coding class for um, for little kids that I'm doing with my four-year-old. Mm. And I don't know anything about coding. I vaguely remember doing like one lesson on it at school. Right. Um, that was incredibly basic. And um, and yeah, so I am literally learning stuff and it's really, really cool. And obviously he's just like, yeah, I get it completely. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, he can already work the iPad, so that's all good. Uh, but, you know, it's really fascinating. Uh, um, yeah, I was, um, my uh, my stepmom is a computer scientist. And uh, so I would, uh, my parents divorced and I would, I would go to my dad's house every second weekend and they had, one of the first, I'm showing my age here, one of the first Apple Macs in the house and a, um, it's called a microbee. It's like a, well, you remember those early BBC computers? Mm, and yeah. uh, and I, I asked if there were any games that you could get for it, thinking, you know, I could, it'd be like the Atari 100 or something. Um, and uh, so my dad bought me a book and I had to program in the game and it would just be lines and lines of, uh, I think it was basic, was the programming uh, yeah. language then. And, yeah. just, and so you'd go every weekend and you'd type all these lines and then you'd have to finally load it and you'd type run and then it would come up with line error. And she was able to look at it and just go <laughs> fix that dollars equals plus, you know. But the cruel thing was, you know, so there'd be a good month involved in, in typing in all this code for, for a game. And then there was a game called Frogger. I don't remember that. It's a bit like uh, Crossy Roads. Yeah. Same yeah, kind of yeah. thing. But what I hadn't realized is that he'd given me programs where in order to play the game, I had to answer maths questions. Oh, that is a slow burn for fun, oh, that, isn't just, it, really? <laughs> I, I, should have just, I should have called social services. Yeah, it's like in one month, you could have maths type fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And from all, a... of the, from all of that, I learned nothing. Yeah, <laughs> and I, exactly. And I still don't know my times tables, as I've discovered with uh, homeschooling. <laughs> Oh, well, quite. I mean, I think we're all having our, our, our knowledge limits tested by that. Wow. Thank, thank goodness for YouTube and BBC Bite Size. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> I know. 
know, number blocks for us. I was like, oh, thank goodness for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that. To get... Anyway. We Tangent there. Back... Yeah, so we're coming, coming back to the room. Um, anyway, I was going to um, round off by asking you um, if you have a, one or two top tips for people who are, who are basically at that stage where they're like, I want to record a disc, what shall I, you know, what are my things that I need to know from an insider? Well, it depends from what angle we're talking here. Uh, my top tip, if you're trying to get a label interested, um, if you want to go for one of the, you know, big labels, or you found a label that you, you know, you know, will, you, you can you either find a label that's that's going to, you know, is going to help you. So it's not a waste of time. Otherwise, you may as well do it yourself. But, um, and this is a tip from uh, a friend of, a friend of Mill Media's, uh, Iad Segea, who has put out a great disc um, with Biss. And but what he did was he found something that was different. He found he he record he's recording hopefully with them the complete works of Kachaturian for piano, but wow. it's no one else has done that. Yeah. And um and so he found something new. And I, I believe, and I could be talking absolute rubbish here, but I'm, I believe at the time they were saying we're not taking any more you know piano works. But then when they they heard that he was doing something that was different, that his repertoire was different then mm. that, that piques their interest. Um, so I, I think that if you're going to go to all the effort of doing it um, and certainly going to a label and, in, and you'll have to invest yourself in this, do something worthwhile, do something different. And I'm not saying it has to be something that's just been written, but maybe look for something just, just you know, avoid doing more Chopin unless, unless of course, you are really good at Chopin. Yeah. <laughs> I know, you know I mean. do think, yeah, I do. I think that there is, um, unless you happen to be the next absolute leader of Chopin, then, uh, you know, then it's, yeah. um, it's, it's uh, tricky. It's just so much, there's just so much, isn't there? You know, yeah. I actually, I know a really, really amazing pianist who's been on this podcast who, um, <laughs> who put a YouTube video of him playing some Chopin <laughs> on, um, on social media and immediately somebody linked to oh no what's i can't remember anyway i think he'd done it for classic fm that was it and then someone had right. gone on youtube and found like the historic chopin pianist and then, like linked it underneath him and like have you seen this one and he was like Thanks. Oh, great <laughs> that's really nice to see right there yeah. side by side you know? exactly <laughs> it's uh, it's very competitive but mm. but actually my other tip would be to um don't be um don't be uh, overwhelmed by the smokes and mirrors. Yeah. You know, a record label, if you're as valuable to them as they are to you, really. Um, and uh, so when you pick and choose one, um, you know, and uh, please come to talk to us at Grand Empirical, because um, we'd love to, you know, hear anything new and exciting that you might be doing. But, um, you know, hold them to account is the you know make sure that you know if they say yeah great we'll put this out for you say well what do you mean by put this out what are you going to do um yeah, yeah. are you go are you actively playlisting who are you going to send the reviews to what contacts mm -hmm. have you got um what what percentage of this budget that we've had to stump up is going to be spent on you know this all sounds really tedious but what how much of it's going to be spent on buying ad space and social media advertising and so on yeah um that's that's what you want from them yeah, 
I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if I would always say, um, yeah, to be absolutely clear what it is that they're going to do for you, because if you yeah. are paying for a service, you're paying for a service, and you have every right yeah. to know exactly what that service involves. Um, another question that has just occurred to me, which I, I intended to include in the um, frequently asked questions earlier and forgot, um, is, and maybe we did touch on it a bit, but what, at what point, what is the ideal point to approach your record label of choice if you're you know is it because is it like um at the total concept stage is it at the i have a full program and i'm you know this is the reason you know all of that what's what's the best moment i, I suppose it depends what tools you've got at your disposal um because what's the best moment to approach you um <laughs> your label i mean as early as possible because mm. we're there to have a conversation with you um mm. and uh and you know if it's if it's too early for us we would say but we would certainly help mm. um help you along the way um but uh, because for example you might have a great uh, repertoire that you want to record um but if you if you've already you know got a relationship with um with recording engineers and you happen to have somebody that can act as your producer then you know get on with it and do it um that's really the key um but uh, I reckon it's it's for us. It's never too early. I can't speak for for other labels, but for us, it's it's never too early because we'll offer whatever advice we can. Thank you, James. There's always so much focus on the performance side, and it's great to have a conversation uh, with someone whose heart is in all the things that make the magic happen. It's been great to hear your insights into how much can be done to produce the best possible vehicle to help artists promote themselves from the album label to the whole online media package. If you want to find out more about James, the Grand Empirical label and the work of Mill Media, you can find these at millmedia.co and grandempirical.co.uk. So thank you again, James, for sharing your time and expertise with Music Works. I know I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening.